You're listening to the Pool Proof Wisdom Podcast, where we bring our authentic selves, refuse to raise grown folks, and share wisdom you can use. With your host, Charles K. Pool. Good morning, good people, and welcome to the podcast. You know, it's the holiday season, and I'm so glad that this is also airing on what is the one-year anniversary of the debut of Poolproof Wisdom. You know, when I started this podcast, I started doing it primarily because I wanted to elevate the conversation. There's so much noise out there, so much negativity. Everybody's trying to one-up one another. And I wanted to have conversations with people about things that matter, stories that are about evolution and improvement. And I've been able to do that in the course of this year. The thing that makes me happiest is that some people are still clamoring for followers and all of that type of thing. Well, that's not the reason I do this podcast. I really do enter each one of these sessions thinking if there is one person out there who hears what is being said here and benefits from it, then I have done my job. And that is going to remain my mantra throughout the time that I continue to do these. On this one year anniversary, I wanted to speak with someone who has a story that I find both compelling and inspiring. And as you get to hear more and know more about this story, you'll understand why. Now we've all been reminded, particularly over the last couple of years, that when we encounter someone, we never know what they're going through. You can't always tell by looking at them, and you certainly can't expect even in this oversharing world in which we live, people to just tell you everything about themselves. So when we find out what people are facing and the courage with which they are facing it, we're often surprised, shocked even. But the truth is, we shouldn't be. It is far more likely that those we know and those we don't know are fighting a battle we know nothing about. My guest today, Brooke Abbott, is a single mom a creative, and a coffee aficionado. I don't get the coffee thing. We'll have to talk about that. But she's also a patient, a student, an activist, and an advocate. Those are attributes you wouldn't necessarily associate with her just by looking at her walking down the street. But after being diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, a form of inflammatory bowel disease in 2008, she became these and many, many other things. Most aspiring of about these, however, is her braveness. She's terrifically brave. Brooke dedicates her time to encouraging health equity, education, and disability rights for those affected by chronic conditions and disabilities. Now, this includes activism, both on the legislative level and within the chronic illness and disability communities. And still, unless she is having a flare-up, you wouldn't know that about her. It's the fact that Brooke wants people to understand chronic illness. It's rarely what people think it is that this conversation is so important. So today, let's learn what she knows and elevate the conversation about chronic illness, guided by Brooke, who is known online and within the halls of Congress as the Crazy Creole Mommy, a social media brand she created to spread awareness about living with a chronic condition as a single mother of color. I also want to know uh, that she is the, I also want you to know that she is also the founder of IBD Moms, a nonprofit resource for moms affected by IBD as patients or caregivers. And of course, IBD stands for irritable bowel disease. Now, I've known Brooke for a lot of years now, and I can honestly say that although I was impressed by her from the outset, I am even more so today. I also respect her. She is living proof that we are not our circumstances, a lesson first taught to me by my own mama, and one that Brooke is teaching us all as well. Now, Brooke's story has been featured in Women's Health Magazine, Prevention Magazine, WebMD, Everyday Health, U.S. Weekly, and L.A. Parent. She has participated in advisory boards promoting health equity for Janssen Biotech, Health Voices, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, the Department of Defense, Pfizer, AbbVie, Arena Pharmaceuticals, Single Mom Planet Foundation, and WeGo Health. Brooke is a dedicated person who is focused on ensuring health equity and equality for everyone. She's also the mother to actor and model 
and incredibly intelligent and astute Jax Honeycutt, and they reside in Los Angeles with their puppy, Winston. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Brooke. Brooke, good morning, and welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited you could join us today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. This is like, it's just, it feels like a full circle moment. It's been a long time coming. It has. You know, we're in each other's orbit, you know, but I've always believed that people can build strong friendships and they don't have to see each other and talk mm -hmm. to each other every day, mm -hmm. but we always know what each other is up to and what we're doing, and you've been doing a lot. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you today about that journey because what you are doing is not just about yourself but about helping other people. And as I've described, you've been through it. You don't look like what you've been through. Yeah. <laughs> but tell me a little bit about your journey, where it started, and then we'll just dive into questions around how you've had that experience and why it has helped you to do what you're doing now. Yeah. So. It's so it's it started in a very interesting space. Um, I started college the week of 9-11. Mm. Crazy week, right? Um, started to not feel good um, after it happened. I actually got the flu. Uh, first week of school, you know, crazy terrorist situation. We're just all just it was a lot. Mm -hmm. um, a few weeks after that, I continued to feel weird. Mm -hmm. um, I just felt not great, a little lethargic. Um, I lost some weight and it just kind of kept progressing. Um, that was my freshman year. And then I transferred schools and moved up to San Francisco and I really started to feel not great. I mean, it was, it was very off and on. Um, there were times when I would be, you know, very active with kids that I would babysit. And then there were days when I just could not mm. even function. Um, there were days when I had multiple trips to the restroom. Um, there were days when I would eat something. And then as soon as I ate it, I had to go to the restroom. And I just didn't know what was going on. The rapid weight loss was also very interesting mm -hmm. um, because I would gain weight and mm. then I would lose it mm -hmm. very, very rapidly, mm -hmm. not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, by the time I moved to San Francisco, I was very skinny. I was not doing very well in school, which was odd for me, right. you know, because education is just, you know, number one. I live in a family of women. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, like, we don't have men in our family. <laughs> <laughs> but when I really think about my family, we're like the Amazons, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, we're, it's just a very women-focused family. And so... Education is very important in our family, and um, the fact that I could not stay awake in class and my grades were not great mm -hmm. um, was very weird. And I just thought, okay, I can't cut it. Like something's wrong. I, this isn't for me. Maybe you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but maybe school's not for me. So mm -hmm. I dropped out, mm -hmm. and it was the most devastating day of my life. Um, I just didn't even know what to do with myself mm -hmm. after that. And I made up a lot of excuses, you know, oh, it was just too expensive. And, oh, I just need to work. And, you know, just a bunch of excuses. But really, at the end of the day, I was not feeling well mm -hmm. and didn't know why. Um, so by that time, I was in my early 20s. Um, this was going on, you know, four or five years. Wow. Um, and then finally in 2007, I was working on a television show for the BBC with Arthel Neville and I've known Arthel for a very long time. She's a very good friend of my mom's. And this was like my first real producing job. And, um, you know, when you, when you're kind of like in that family business type of thing, and then you get your big break of stepping out of your parents' shadow or out of your parents' care, really. Mm -hmm and you can step out, that was that job for me. Even though I knew Arthel, she was taking a big risk on hiring a 23-year-old to produce her show. And um, the first day of production, she and I went on a hike, which wasn't something that was new for me. Um, but by the end of the hike, I started to feel not great. I was sweating. I felt like I was going to pass out. Um, I couldn't breathe. Um, I just felt really bad and I ended up staying on her couch for a while, drank some Gatorade, and then I was fine. Um, we started production. We were about four shows in and um, 
we were on set one day we were doing pickups and I started to count down I was also the assistant director so I was sitting next to the camera guy and he said that um I looked at him and I said is it hot in here I don't now I don't remember this what I remember is looking at art and starting a countdown and then the next thing I know I wake up and everybody's over me I'm on the floor I had passed out on my stool um just it was just weird just a weird situation I had eaten that day I you know I was hydrated didn't know what was going on so um my mom came and picked me up went to the ER they gave me some fluids they didn't you know and by this time just so you know throughout this I had been going to doctors like there's something not right like something's going on I had been put on a vegan diet I had been put on this I you know everybody talked about everything except for the one thing that they should have asked me so I spent about a week on my mom's couch not being able to get up and um I ended up passing out in her house she had uh one of her friends one of her clients who was a doctor come over and she looked at me and she's like you know your symptoms sound like they're in the gut I I have a GI friend who works at the hospital with me you should go talk to him so I went to talk to him he asked me three questions I answered them and he goes oh yeah you you've got ulcerative colitis we'll do a colonoscopy and that's a textbook case it's been seven years what (laughs) yeah crazy right um, so he, he did, he did a colonoscopy, he confirmed the diagnosis and I was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and my particular form was called left-sided ulcerative colitis. Mm-hmm. So it was centered in my colon. Mm-hmm. It's the sister disease to Crohn's disease, which mm-hmm. Crohn's disease, uh, affects the entire digestive tract from, you know, your mouth, you know, d- all the way down to your anus. Like it, it, it can do a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Um, in different pockets. Ulcerative colitis is very centered in your colon. Um, it can be one side or, you know, it could be the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Mine started off as left-sided one side. Mm-hmm. Um, by, that was in 2008. By 2012, I had my colon removed. Mm-hmm. I had been, I, I had just gotten too sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that time it was pan colitis. So my entire colon was affected. Um, my doctor, uh, one of actually one of the doctors on our advisory board or our board of directors for IBD Moms, mm-hmm. she saved my life. She was one of the doctors that mm-hmm. was just really in my case, mm-hmm. and you know, pulled a lot of strings to get me mm-hmm. um, seen by a surgeon. Mm-hmm. And um, she said that they called from surgery and said, "Well, um, when we pulled it out, you know, it, it can't it." came right out and it was Mm -hmm. fine but then there were five places where it perforated Mm -hmm. as we laid it down so Mm -hmm. basically i was running on Mm -hmm. borrowed time at that point right um and between you know 2008 and 2012 my life had just completely changed you know in that time i had become a mother Mm. um but i was living during a time when patients were not uh, necessarily covered by health insurance. Mm -hmm. So I was paying out of pocket for a Mm -hmm. lot of this stuff. I was, you know, uh, rationing pills because, um, I couldn't always pay for them. Mm -hmm. I was also, you know, seen as someone who (laughs) apparently was a drug addict. So yeah, there's that. Um, so I wasn't given pain medication. So Mm -hmm. my inflammation markers just stayed very high because Mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep. I was in pain all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, By the time I had my surgery, I was 98 pounds. Mm. Um, I was losing my hair. It was just not a great time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I came out of it, the surgery that you have is uh, usually a three-step surgery. So you can have two or three. So you you have your colon removed and they give you an ostomy. Mm -hmm. Then your second step is they put in um, what they call a J pouch. And it's basically just a piece of your small bowel that becomes the um, reservoir Mm -hmm. as a replacement for your colon. And then um, the third step is they uh, put your ostomy back. They they basically fix that up, close that up, and Mm -hmm. then you live with a J pouch. Mm 
And during my, like between my first and second surgery, I had a long talk with my mom about everything that had happened. And, you know, we just really kind of went back on things mm. and looked at things. And I had been writing a blog about motherhood and politics because I'm like super political. And No. <laughs> you? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, and she was like, you know, you should put your story mm -hmm. on there. And for my mom, who works in Hollywood, right. who, you know, when I was pregnant, we were on a show. She was like, this mm -hmm. is not the time to tell people you're pregnant. Like, mm -hmm. she's super private. Mm -hmm. So for her to tell me to go do that, I was like, this is something else telling me yeah. that I need to be open and honest for a reason so i put it out there and i got a few responses and i just kept talking about it and i just then i started instead of just telling my story over and over because it's long and it's it can be i mean it's 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 engaging and it's it seems like a lot in the beginning but if you hear it over and over again it gets boring right <laughs> so i was like well what can i do with this like telling my story isn't going to help anybody mm. what can i do well, I was still a mom. I still needed, you know, a stroller to adapt to my needs. I had done all of this stuff when I was, you know, baby wearing and when I was, you know, looking for products to help me get through the day. I had a, a whole box that, you know, I kept so that Jax could play, but I could still lay on the floor, right. or lay on the couch. And I was like, why don't I share these things? Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. And then um, I was asked to testify um about health insurance and health coverage um in front of congress and i had always been very political and i was like well i know how to read legislation like why don't i teach patients mm -hmm. how to read legislation and how to advocate for themselves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then why don't i go and advocate on the hill i know mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. there i can mm -hmm. create the meetings myself like mm -hmm. let's do it mm -hmm. so i just started doing it and it just kept going and going and, and now, you know, Amber, my good friend Amber from About IBD, we've been doing IBD Moms. And I'm like, that started from me just going around the country, teaching moms how to baby wear mm -hmm. and going, well, these moms who are, you know, not to say that they're normal, but they don't have disabilities. They mm -hmm. don't have, you know, all the medical devices that we have or need. And they have all of these resources. Mm. They have these big conventions mm -hmm. where they get to go and like hang out and see each other mm. and, and talk about things. Why don't we have that for IB moms mm -hmm. with IBD? Mm -hmm. Why don't we have that for moms with diabetes? Mm -hmm. Like we need that. Mm -hmm. So then we started <laughs> IBD moms because I didn't have enough on my plate. So I just, I did that. And then I went back to school because why not? <laughs> well, let, let, let me stop you for a second. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you're doing all that because I'll, I'll have a reflection on that in a moment. But let's go back a little bit, Brooke. Yeah. Um, you're in your 20s yeah. where everything lies ahead of you. Mm -hmm. We have our plans, our ideas, our ideals for that matter mm -hmm. about what life is going to be for us. There are some themes you hit up on, obviously being a young woman and finding out that information. That's one thing. To be a young woman and then having to wait seven years mm -hmm. before find, someone finds out what's wrong with you. And I can relate to that. I didn't have anything um, uh, that was as dastardly as IBD, but I did have a condition that took five years for them to find out what was wrong. So I understand mm. where you're coming from. And then the third prong of what you've discussed is this focus on um, what it means to be a person who is diagnosed with a chronic illness. Mm -hmm and then trying to get to a point where you can receive the treatment that you need and want, the financial implications, those type of things. Talk to me about those three things. The fact that when this happened, you were a young woman mm -hmm. at the start of your life for the most part mm -hmm. and what that impact was. And then those other two categories that helped you. So as you moved to that next point, start doing all of these different things that's your fire in the belly, I know, driven, at least it seems to me, by those three areas. So talk to yeah. me about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a planner. Mm -hmm. um, I graduated high school, planned to go to film school. Mm -hmm. Like, I had everything mapped out, mm -hmm. planned out. When I met you, mm -hmm. I was working for a nonprofit, but mm -hmm. that nonprofit was right. run by my mom's very good friend mm -hmm. who is an actor, mm -hmm. and I was working in production mm -hmm. on the side. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I knew what I was going to mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I did not know because I also have asthma. So mm-hmm. for me, having a chronic condition, I was like, okay, you know, when it flares, I take my medicine, I move, right. go on, I move about my business, mm-hmm. you know. Um, this was a whole body mm-hmm. <laughs> situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one huge factor that I didn't know when I was diagnosed is that even though this is centered in the gut, mm-hmm. it for sure affects mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't understand what fatigue was. I didn't, you know, I just, not that I ignored it, but I was like, oh, well, you know, clearly I'm not drinking enough, you know, vitamin C. There or was always a reason. Always a reason, right. you know, mm-hmm. and it was always me. I'm not doing this. Right. I'm not, you know, so let me change it. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying or recognizing that this is out of your control, mm-hmm. And there are going to be days when it's like this and you'll have to adapt and everybody around you will adapt. Mm. But because I didn't adapt, everyone around me didn't and didn't know how to. Um, And I think when I look back on that, that period of my life, in the beginning, like when I, after I had my surgery, I felt ashamed and guilty. Mm-hmm. I was really embarrassed because all of a sudden I had all this knowledge about what I was dealing with. And I think about, you know, not showing up for work and being tired and um, oversleeping um, by like an hour, you know. And I thought, God, what, mu- what people must think of me? Mm. I remember after my surgery, like maybe three days after my surgery. And I had a long talk with the, um, the ostomy nurse and she was explaining to me what was going on in my body. And then the surgeon came in and he was telling me like what my insides look like. And, um, I just remember like thinking, God, all this time, you know, Mm. I've been feeling this way. Mm. Um, my life is completely upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, in that period of di- between diagnosis and surgery, you know, I had started a family. Mm-hmm. I had a career mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was financially stable. Um, and then all of those things were gone mm-hmm. by the time I had the surgery. Right, right. Um, and I guess... What drives me now is I know that even though there are so many advances um, in IBD, in the IBD community, Mm -hmm. in the medical community, um, there's still this health equity gap, and it affects people in such a real way. The way that it affected me was my lack of education, my lack of access to education, Mm -hmm. and most people, when they think of health equity, they think of people who are poor right. and, you know, are impoverished. Um, I did, I, I was comfortable growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I had access mm-hmm. and um, it still wasn't accessible. Exactly. Um, now, even as an empowered patient, mm-hmm. I can still go to the ER mm-hmm. and be completely dismissed. Mm-hmm. Um I'm still labeled as drug seeking every mm-hmm. now and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still not listened to. I'm still kind of ignored. Um, if I'm not talking directly to my GI who is of color, mm-hmm. I have issues mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. Um, so that passion is like in me because right. I don't want another young person of color to go through mm-hmm. that or a young person period. You right. know, I meet patients who have kids that are living with IBD who are four. Mm. We have one mom whose uh, child is 18 months. Mm. I can't like, I know what this feels like. Right. I can't even imagine. Five kids. Oh yeah. my goodness. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it really, it, it, it tears me up. Mm. Um, and I want people to be able to live their lives because had I had the education, had I had the access, had I had a treatment plan, my whole life would have been, mm-hmm. you know, completely different. Mm-hmm. Had I, been able to get treatment that freshman year of college when I went to the doctor and said, I feel like I'm still having flu symptoms. Mm -hmm. 
but I don't have the flu. Mm -hmm. And instead of him saying, it's your freshman year of college, it's the freshman 15, but how do I have the freshman 15 mm -hmm. when I'm losing weight? <laughs> I don't, don't understand that, but okay. The um, freshman plus or minus 15. Right, yeah. apparently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, if I had had a doctor who had said, hey, you know what, you're right. Something's not right. Let's mm -hmm. do a full panel. Mm -hmm. Like, what's your back? What's your right. medical background? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? Mm -hmm. My life would have been completely different. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I am, I don't know. I feel like I, I needed this mm -hmm. to be able to be right where I'm supposed to be because, you know, I'm back in school. I've changed my whole, I'm not in film school anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going for public policy really contemplating finishing up mm -hmm. rounding it out with law school which was my passion growing up mm -hmm. but i didn't think i was smart enough or had mm -hmm. the right tools to be mm -hmm. able to be mm -hmm. a lawyer or to work in policy at mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. and this having not just having the disease but having the disease while being a mom but while being a single mom while you know working in the legislative space and mm. in, in advocacy has shown me who I really am. Mm. I really put myself in a box mm -hmm. as a kid because mm -hmm. I let people put me, right. me in a box, mm -hmm. you know, not, not anyone who knew me, but mm -hmm. society mm -hmm. as we all do. Mm -hmm. um, but this pulled me out mm. and made me fight for something. Mm. Made, I had to fight to be a mom mm. I had to fight to be a whole person. Mm -hmm. I had to fight to be heard. Mm -hmm. And I had to fight to be safe. Mm -hmm. the, the safety of living with a chronic condition is mm -hmm. so important. Mm -hmm. Explain what you mean by that. When you're not heard or you're not believed, mm -hmm. a lot of things can happen while trying to seek treatment or help. Um, I wasn't believed when I told the nurse that I was allergic to morphine. Mm -hmm. And um, I was laying in bed. My kid, I had gone to the ER when I had him with me because mm -hmm. I really wasn't feeling well. Sure. So I literally drove myself mm -hmm. to the ER. And I, when I got there, I called my mom. Mm -hmm. And she was on set. So she, she was like, you know, Jax will be fine. Mm -hmm. I'll get there soon. Mm -hmm. And so he was sitting in the chair and he had his iPad. And um, at this time he could read. He's mm -hmm. been reading since he was 18 months. Yeah, yeah he's, <laughs> he's something else. Um, <laughs> but he was on his iPad and he had heard me tell pretty much everyone that mm -hmm. I was allergic to morphine. Mm -hmm. He heard me tell the nurse when she walked in, when she asked me about what, why the bandit, the band said, allergy mm -hmm. so i told her jackson was watching her pull this medicine out now first of all she pulled out medicine and a syringe with the child in the room mm. and left it she walked out i was kind of like in and out of sleep and jackson walked over to the tray and mm. he's reading it and he read morphine mm. he took a picture of it and wow. sent it to my mom and said is it mommy allergic mm. And she had to call, she called the ER and was like, please, whoever is there needs to stop. Now, that is a safety issue. Sure. And the most unfortunate case of a, and a child shall lead them that I probably have ever heard. He had to intercede. Crazy. Four-year-old. Wow. So it's not easy no. to be cared for when no one is showing any care. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Brooke, when you looking back at a lot of this, as I was listening to you describe what you have been dealing with, and that's the reason, as I said at the outset of this, this is so important. Healthcare is so invaluable. And I think yeah. people take it for granted, yeah. right? You did seem at an earlier point compared to where you are now that you're at this level of realization. You probably beat yourself up way too much early yeah. on in the process of this. Because it's interesting to hear you describe some of the things that you've described. Because you know how when you meet people, you kind of have that first impression. And you know me, I tell it like it is. Yeah. But the fact is, as far back as when we initially met, 
the thing that shown about you, I think, brightest was how smart you are. Thank you. You have to thank me if it wasn't true. I'd say you were dumb as bricks. <laughs> but that's what showed through. Mm -hmm. I remember at that dinner we had, we were having conversations and you were going deep in on different topics. And a friend who was with me was sitting there making some less than illustrious comments and you just chopped it down. Mm -hmm. So to hear you say, that you had these doubts about your abilities and everything and how that bled over into how you dealt with yourself mm -hmm. with this disease is a little bit heartbreaking. Yeah. But I understand. Yeah. Because who we are as it looks in the world is only what we present often and not what is inherently within. Mm -hmm. But I love how you brought this back home because I believe that we humans have a tendency to do a couple of things. When it's the great news, thank you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're just so happy. It's mm -hmm. a wonderful day. Mm -hmm. But when the bad shit happens, yeah. why me, Lord? When we don't ask why me when the good stuff happens. What this journey has brought you on a path toward is that you've been through all of that darkness, but look at the light that you have found mm -hmm. and you now know why you. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make it great right? In a, no. in a world of choices, right. right? You'd be like, I kind of prefer not to have this. I'd still love to have my colon. Exactly. Can I, I have it back? I, I'd be cool with that. Right, right. <laughs> it's not perfect. Yeah. But we're all perfectly imperfect humans. Yeah. And I love how you have taken up the mantle of taking what could have easily turned into something else. And, you know, some people may be mad that I say this. Lesser people would have still been on the floor someplace trying to scrape themselves up off. Because it's hard. It's terribly hard. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. When, mm -hmm. when the doctor first started talking about it, mm -hmm. my whole – I'm so glad that my mom was in the room because mm -hmm. I just started staring off. Right. You know, there was a – I'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. Like, it was almost like the Charlie Brown, what, 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 what. Like, all of a sudden, I was just like, okay. Out of your body. It's just – I'm going to look out this window right. here. Right. Because I was on top of the world. Mm -hmm. And even though it felt a, it was like a relief that I finally knew what was going on, mm -hmm. it was also like, Ugh, mm -hmm. come on, mm -hmm. come on, dude, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, maybe a part of me just started to kind of ignore mm. some symptoms. Um, this is not really wrong with me. I don't believe. Them. Right. Or, or I'm stronger than right. this. Right. You right. know, but the strength comes from understanding what you're dealing with mm -hmm. and dealing with it as it needs to be dealt with, not right. ignoring it, not covering it up, mm -hmm. um, not, you know, just n not taking care of it. That's not mm -hmm. being strong or mm -hmm. putting on a facade of, of being strong. Mm -hmm. um, strength is asking for help. Mm -hmm. Um, being brave is, you know, being out and saying, hey, I have this and this is what it is. Right. Um, because when I first met you, mm -hmm. I had just been diagnosed. Mm. I think I met you that spring. Right. Right. I was diagnosed that February. Mm -hmm. Wow. It was as fresh as could be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the combination of not really understanding what this chronic illness needed, mm -hmm. the attention that it needed. Mm -hmm. um, because as soon as I started the medication, I was like, okay, well, mm -hmm. now I can go back to work. Mm -hmm. And then I started going back to work and I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I can't keep up. Right, right. What's right. going on? Right, right. No, I can't stand up for 15 mm -hmm. hours yeah. on this set. <laughs> like, not happening today. <laughs> not happening today. Um, yeah, it, it was, I don't know. I, you know, I wish that the one thing I do wish, I wish that I had not been so scared mm -hmm. of losing everything mm -hmm. because I feel like I would have been open more to understanding what was going on. Mm -hmm. But I was so like, okay, I got to hold on to this. Got to hold. Like I had to just mm -hmm. keep, I felt like I had to keep it together. Mm -hmm. And that also comes from being around just a bunch of strong women right. who are independent. And you know, my boss at that time, she's got right. four kids and she's yeah. doing this. And it's my what mom, used to. it was, that is who I grew up mm -hmm. around, right. you know, right. Amazons, mm -hmm. like they mm -hmm. were just warriors. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is when I got really sick and I had my surgery, that same person had a conversation with me and she was like, 
your strength doesn't come from being taking on everything that's right and acting like a pack mule mm -hmm. that's not what that means mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know she's like there's strength and vulnerability right. right she's like you need to be transparent you need to be open mm -hmm. and you need to allow people to help you mm -hmm. you need to allow your mom to help you need a lot to allow me to help you mm -hmm. like you need to let people in mm -hmm. that's where the strength comes mm -hmm. in it's the strength in your community and that's the right. village that you create mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know i didn't see that mm -hmm. until then mm -hmm. and then once you got that is that the ignition of the spark that says, well, damn it, if I've got to deal with this, I'm going to deal with it my way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had to own it. But also, I had to empower myself because I needed my kid to feel empowered. And, oh. and I needed to mm -hmm. normalize what our family mm -hmm. had become mm -hmm. so that he could feel empowered and loved and strong. Mm -hmm. And also, I wanted to raise human beings who saw people before they saw their religion or their skin uh, color or their afflictions. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you mm -hmm. can't just tell your kids, mm -hmm. don't be racist right. or don't be mean or don't be cruel. You have to show, you have to normalize other people's lives for them, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just, I needed to, I needed to own it, mm -hmm. but not in the way of being like, I have IBD. No, I needed to own it in a way that helped me and helped other people mm -hmm. because I'm not going to get anywhere without other folks. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that I did become that vulnerable mm -hmm. because I've met so many great mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. um, that I may not have ever met before. Mm -hmm. the, the woman that I run IBD Moms <coughs> with is literally my best friend. Mm -hmm. And um, we have so much in common. Our kids are around the same age. Mm -hmm. um, she lives in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. I live in Los Angeles. We never would have met, mm -hmm. you know, right. but we are literally mm -hmm. the same person. We are 10 years apart and we are the same mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. um, and I also needed Jax to have a community outside of mm -hmm. our core. Mm -hmm. Because even though it's very diverse and it's very eclectic and mm -hmm. creative, mm -hmm. he needed to see people outside of that mm -hmm. and be able to trust people outside mm -hmm. of that That's right. and know that there are other people that had his back too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just... And I think, let me ask, because I don't mm -hmm. want to make any assumptions here. I think part of what... I've seen, because, you know, I used to say, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm checking you know, <laughs> out what's going on, that little genius that you're raising. Yeah. I think that part of what your dynamic is as well is that you didn't want the fact that you were dealing with IBD to become the focus of his life. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And to do that is it's a bit self-sacrificial. We understand yeah. that you're a mom, of course. But it's also, what is that 100 black men thing? Oh, what they see they will be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're showing him that through all of this, that there is a path to take that doesn't mean that this is going to debilitate you. Yeah. But can actually strengthen you. And, to your point, allow you to help other people find their way. Yeah. And what I see with him in terms of his activities, he's political too. No, oh, almost more than me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I'm looking at him, I was like, how? But he's so curious yeah. and interested in the world. Mm -hmm. And because he's interested in the world, he's interested in other people. And yeah. everything that you've said is what I see foundationally as being the core of who he is becoming. Yeah. And as he grows to adulthood, let me tell you, there are a few people I know who have kids. You're one of them. And I look at these children, and when I look at the rest of the world, and they are pissing me off, Yeah. I base so much hope in, I know there's one kid <laughs> yeah. that when he grows up, he's going to make a difference, or she's going to make mm -hmm. a difference. And that's what I rely on. So there's a lot that you must be getting from in terms of your own inspiration, even though you're raising this young man. There's a lot of inspiration you have to get every day when you see who he's becoming oh, yeah. in light 
of this broad experience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, well, A, you know, I'm also raising Jax to be a person who can be flexible mm. and who can forgive themselves mm -hmm. because we don't know what's going to happen. Right. I right. want, I don't want Jax to be so stuck in a plan mm -hmm. that he that he can't he'll right. fall apart if it changes mm -hmm. because that's what happened mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so i really that's the first thing mm -hmm. um the second thing is you know Jax is so brave mm -hmm. um just i didn't have a sick mom mm -hmm. i didn't have a sick dad um i had a i had an uncle who passed away, I didn't know that he was sick. Um, so I never really lived with that. Mm -hmm. And I I had my mom available to me. Now my mom worked, she w went on tour and all that kind of stuff, but I had my mom available. I had my mom there to be able to do the things that we wanted to do when she wanted to do them, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and also just being unabashedly smart mm -hmm. you know and um outspoken right. and you know into what he believes mm -hmm. um it's never really lined up with mm -hmm. me and his dad i mean it lines <laughs> up but not really <coughs> at fun short very short story mm -hmm. his dad now lives in texas mm -hmm. and so we went to go visit and he was living in Dallas at the time. And so the night before we were going to plan to go out and do stuff, I looked at Steven and I was like, so, you know, he's like, I know, I already know. I was like, you know, he's like, I know. I was like, so are you prepared to go? And he was like, are you prepared? I've been thinking about it for a week. I've been preparing myself. I was like, all right, so let's sleep on it. So the next morning we go to breakfast. And Jax looks at us and he goes, so you guys know. And Stephen goes, we're going to the George Bush Library. We know. We've been preparing ourselves. We already know. <laughs> Jackson's obsessed with George W. Bush. My God, like, that's fascinating. Loves him. Uh -huh. But is a total Barack Obama, mm -hmm. Joe Biden, Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton mm -hmm. thumping mm -hmm. Democrat. Mm -hmm. But literally mm -hmm. can recite the Bush doctrine to mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. and break down what he likes and doesn't like. And still, I mean, when, when we got to the library, Jackson mm -hmm. had tears in his mm -hmm. eyes. Like this is, who, oh, no, it, awesome. it's like some kid running into Iron mm -hmm. Man. Mm -hmm. that's, <laughs> 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 I think that's fantastic. And poor Steven was just like, you know, just mm -hmm. hardcore liberal mm -hmm. Democrat. He was mm -hmm. just like, I don't, why am I? Oh, uh, uh, look at my kid. He's why is he over oh here? God, just <laughs> skipping along. But there, there's such a lesson that he's separating the people from the politics. Oh, for sure. He does it all the time. And that's really a goal. I mean, yeah. I mean, if everyone could do that, imagine the possibility. And doesn't, doesn't go along with everything that's around right, him. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, he had a conversation with my cousin who worked in the Obama administration mm -hmm. Mm -hmm about things that he loved mm -hmm. in the Republican agenda mm -hmm. and had a full conversation with her. Which makes perfect sense to me. Which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I love this mm -hmm. because what you don't want is for kids to feel like they have to repeat what you're saying mm -hmm. and they don't even know what mm -hmm. they're saying. Right. And right. that's what I don't want. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm raising him to be, that's the only way that he'll be kind and mm -hmm. he'll, and he'll be inclusive and he'll mm -hmm. be accepting of people is if he really has a true understanding mm -hmm. of who people are. Yeah. I admire the little fella from afar. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a parallel here, obviously, and I don't know how much you know about it, but you know, my experience is that we had a small family, you know, dad passed away pretty young, mom found herself a widow, had to raise kids. Uh, from a very young age, for whatever reason, my mom never thought she was going to be here long. That's mm. just the way it was. She started teaching me things mm. from the time I was a little fella. Stuff that many people would say was too adult. You know, you shouldn't know this. You shouldn't. He doesn't mm. need to know. He needs mm -hmm. to be a kid. My mom never felt this. Now, my mom only lived to 55. 
And the thing is, is that when she was diagnosed with illnesses, it was all kinds of heart-related stuff. Because the last time, speaking about health equity, the last time she'd gone to a doctor was in 1966 when she gave birth to my younger sister. Mm. She did not like doctors. She mm -hmm. did not trust doctors. The treatment was not necessarily equitable, as you've been describing. Mm -hmm. So when she finally did have to go, it was in 1984, and she had a whole lot of things wrong. But, Brooke, the thing that reminds me of the, the resilience that you possess and I'm, you know, I'll say it because, you know, for any male listeners, I, I like women better than men. You know, that's just in general. I think our gender misses the boat on a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to argue on I, that. Yeah, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I have no qualm saying it. If I had not been raised as I'd been raised, I'd probably be an asshole. And I know that. So just saying. But the thing is, is by the time, you know, so it was 1984, when she went in there, they told her that she had six months to a year that she was mm -hmm. going to live based on all of the number of things that were wrong with her. And I will never forget, she said, hmm, we'll see. Just like that. It was nine years later she passed on. Mm. But I believe that there's something within a parent, particularly within mothers. She was like, I still got kids to raise. Yeah. I got stuff to do. Oh. You can't tell me it's going to be this period of time. So by the time that she passed away, I was 29 years of age. So I was well into adulthood. But I will tell you, everything that I was taught from the time I was a kid, because I was that precocious child as well, imagine. Mm -hmm. And it came into play. Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly how to do it. And I am so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful that that's what you're giving to Jax, because we don't need to bask in a space of eventuality. Yeah. We live in the now. I always tell people, um, ever so often throughout the course of any week, I always think about the people on 9-11 who yeah. got up that day with all of their plans in place for their lives. And it never came to fruition. Mm -hmm. For those of us who deal with health issues and everything, who are still here, I know it's hard to get there, but you come to look at what's wrong with you and understanding it in a certain light as a gift. Yeah. Because you learn how to operate and live in the context of it. You can do things. You can make sure people know things. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people squander that. Yeah. But you haven't done it. And your luminosity when you walked in here, I was just like, let me give her a hug. <laughs> there's just this energy to you that Same. you are putting into the world. And for people who hear chronic illness, we always think about those debilitating factors. But talk to me somewhat now about reminding people about the life there is to live. Yeah. Despite the illness that you have well you know like you said you have to be flexible you know you have to live in the now right, right. um i am grateful for the community i've i'm grateful for the new path that it gave me um it's taught me about time management mm -hmm. it's given me a different appreciation for motherhood for mm -hmm. holidays people are always like you know i mean creole people have parties for any little thing that's just what we do mm -hmm. but you know i do go big for holidays mm -hmm. and for birthdays mm -hmm. and you know especially during this pandemic period where it hit home even more right you know um feeling like we've got to not that you have to do everything now right. but when we put things off and off and off and off, it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, I am all about enjoying what we have, working hard, mm -hmm. but also taking that time. Right. I'm a single mom. I'm in school. I've got the nonprofit. I work. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got all these mm -hmm. things, but I do carve out time to mm -hmm. play chess with my kid, yeah. Yeah. to, you know, have coffee with my mom. Mm -hmm to go cook stuff with my grandma to, mm -hmm. you know, go have my sister-in-law and I have a mom's night out, mm -hmm. you know, like we, you do those things, mm -hmm. you know, even mm -hmm. if it's just FaceTiming, sometimes I just FaceTime with, you know, my brothers mm -hmm. or, you know, it, it, it's the little things. Mm -hmm. I think that I just walked away from that surgery, appreciating the little things because I was, I know that I wasn't supposed to leave mm -hmm. that hospital. Mm -hmm. I know that the doctors did not want to do the surgery because mm -hmm. it was just, there was too much of a risk and mm -hmm. it, it wasn't going to really work out. Mm -hmm. But I was determined to make it to Jackson's third birthday because mm -hmm. in my mind, two and a half, was, mm -hmm. 
two and a half, he would have forgotten me. Mm-hmm. So I needed to make it to three right. so that he could at least remember mm-hmm. some of the things that I had started teaching him. Mm-hmm. He would know who I was. Right. That He would at least remember my scent. Mm-hmm. I needed to get to three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now I make small goals for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I made it to 12. Mm-hmm. I made it through this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make it to 16 mm-hmm. because I got to teach my kid how to drive. There you go. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. And don't feel bad about the fact that that touches her. It touches mine. <laughs> Only reason I didn't do anything because I cry a lot uglier than you do. So <laughs> I'm not going to let that be seen publicly. These two guys will never get over it. But um, that's the thing I think is so important. Thanks for sharing that because what I want people to understand, and this circles back to where you were talking about all the things you're doing right now at the beginning of this, this is why you do them. You are not succumbing to the fact that you have a chronic disease. You are living your life. You're living it boldly. You are living it excitedly. And you are packing in a lot of stuff. I think you need to give yourself now, as you look back even on your history, some credit for the resilience. Because maybe it's that stock from which you come, those strong women. (laughs) Maybe it's just that you have tapped into your faith. And I don't believe in religion. I believe in faith. All of it has come to fore in terms of you finding your place. And much like, as I said, with my own mom, who was just like, she was like, well, that's what you say, but this is what I got planned. Mm -hmm. And these milestones you've just outlined, I'm just like, you're going to see that and more. Because I think that so much has to do with what goes on in here, of course, but it has to do with what goes on in here, in the heart and Mm -hmm. in the spirit. And you are not done. And you ain't ready to be done anytime soon. And I think that as I want to kind of touch up on IBD moms, is that the imparted message you want to share with everyone through this organization? And how is that being done in ways that are tangible that other people can relate to? We just want moms to feel normal Mm. because there were times when Amber and I both felt abnormal, left Mm -hmm. out, left out of some of the IBD education. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't touch on women's health. Mm -hmm. It didn't touch on living with a toddler while trying to change your ostomy bag. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it didn't touch on all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I want moms to not just feel comfortable in the education of their disease or in the education of the disease that afflicts their children, Mm -hmm. I want them to feel empowered in their motherhood mm-hmm. and I want their children to feel empowered and mm-hmm. I want their spouses to feel empowered mm-hmm. and I want them to know that, that, you know, even though there are some changes that you have to make some mm-hmm. little modifications, your motherhood journey is just as beautiful mm-hmm. and just as normal as any other mother, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I remember this mom came to me in New York I was teaching a baby wearing um, class mm-hmm. and she had a, um, an insulin pump and she was walking around. She was going to other vendors and she just stopped by with her friend who was trying on an, a carrier. And I was like, would you like to try one on? And she goes, oh, no, I can't. I have an insulin pump. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you absolutely can. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, everyone said that I can't because I was like, no, let me show you how to wear it. Mm-hmm. You know, and her whole face lit up like that just changed Mm -hmm. how she would be able to move around the Mm -hmm. city because no, you can't go everywhere with a stroller. Mm -hmm. No, you can't carry your baby everywhere. And what she represented to me at that time was the power of community because randomly she came to this thing she didn't even want to go to. She walked up to our booth. Mm -hmm that she didn't want to go to because she felt that she she right. wouldn't benefit from it mm-hmm. but she did anyway mm-hmm. trying to support her friend mm-hmm. and then she her whole you know life with her toddler right. changed mm-hmm. or her infant yeah and erase it's a it's it's a, I, i'm trying to talk here goodness it's <laughs> erasing the stigma because interestingly there's so many people 
who stigmatize people who have health issues. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. In a world where people should be trying to be compassionate, mm -hmm. we want to oh, look at that. Look at that. Mm -hmm. And the, the simple goal of normalizing that you can get out there and live your life I think is overlooked by so many people because they don't understand what it means to go through it. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about IBD moms, and I'm so glad that you're you know, mentioning you know, for the male fragile ego spouses or for the partners of anyone you know, who is going through this who is a mom, that it's that whole circle trying to make it comfortable for everybody mm -hmm. because once the person who is going through it understands what they're dealing with it helps them to integrate it into their lives yeah and helps them reach the people that they love yeah and i think that's the biggest impact of these types of activities you know your friend that you mentioned who you know i know and something like that and you know autism mm -hmm. we're not going to go into all that yeah but that's the same thing i find there that line that he uses i have but mm -hmm. it doesn't have me. Mm -hmm. That's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You are dealing with it. And a lot of people are dealing with things, mm -hmm. but very few people are able to take it and bridge it beyond themselves. Mm -hmm. So tell me, because I believe in support, for people who want to help the mission of yeah. IBD Moms, yeah. how can they do it? And how can they do it quickly? It's Christmas. Let's go ahead and support something worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can visit us on ibdmoms.org. Mm -hmm. um, we do a bunch of different things. We loan out carriers. We've got a mm -hmm. summit coming up in November, which is going to be amazing. Um, we help moms during natural disasters. We do programs. Mm -hmm. So you can absolutely donate um, anything. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've got strollers, if you've got baby you know, monitors, things like that, or if you'd like to send in cash. Cash mm -hmm. is always great. Mm -hmm. um, gift cards. We do send out gift cards to moms who are in hospital. Um, and soon we will have a card drive mm -hmm. where you can purchase greeting cards mm -hmm. and send them to moms mm -hmm. who are in hospitals mm -hmm. um, because those hospital stays can last from mm -hmm. anywhere from three days to mm -hmm. three months. And so as we get ready to wrap up here, mm -hmm. um, I want to, first of all, thank you. First of all, you're the first person I've actually sat across with <laughs> in this studio because usually I do these through teleconference. Is that what it's called? Video conference. Yeah. God, am I old. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the first time. So this is a pleasant surprise. Yeah. But I would also like to ask you for those people who are listening, if you want to leave them with something that they need to know, whether it's IBD, any chronic illness about life mm -hmm. and the lessons that living with a chronic illness means and helping those who don't live with it understand something that they need to know, what would that be? I think it's important to know that you'll never really understand what that person's going through and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that you cannot participate in helping them, being kind, um, taking a moment to, to not try and understand how it feels, but just know that participating or having them participate in your life normalizes and starts to break down stigma. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have to do ginormous acts of kindness to include people. It's just, you know, every day, a text here, a text there, mm -hmm. an invite here, an invite there. Mm -hmm. um, not saying critical things on social media about mm -hmm. people that mm -hmm. you don't know or, mm -hmm. or to make fun of mm -hmm. things that you don't really understand. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And I want to encourage people to hear what Brooke has said. It really is about showing compassion consistently in both active and passive ways sometimes. Because everybody, let's go ahead and take an Oprah Winfrey quote, <laughs> you know, everybody wants to know that they matter, that they've been seen, and that they're heard. And when people are going through something that involves such physical toll on their bodies, it affects what's going on in your head and it affects what goes on in your heart. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a little outreach can put a spark in that person's day to say, you know what, you're going to get through today. And one day at a time really does make a difference in this case. Yeah. Brooke, thank you so much. You thank are you. still as <clears throat> magnificent as the first <laughs> time I met you. And I'm so proud of you thank because you. of what you're doing. And for those, again, who want to support IBDmoms.com. .org. Dot org. Mm -hmm. You hear that? Dot org. Mm -hmm. My mistakes. And um, go out and support them because there are lots of needs out there. And when you're helping IBD moms, you're helping people to make a difference in real lives. Yeah. So thanks again for joining me today. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks. <laughs>
Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Pool Proof Wisdom Podcast. We always enjoy the company. Be sure to listen, like, subscribe, and share using Google and Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, Anchor, Overcast, YouTube, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate it very much if you simply tell a friend about the podcast too. Spread the word. Until next time, keep on living.